Get ready for the national championship game with ESPN's College Football Podcast, hosted by a rotating talent roster, including Kirk Herbstreet, David Pollock, Booger McFarland, Paul Feinbaum, Joey Galloway, and more. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talked about the NBA, which we're doing on Monday afternoon. Welcome to 2022. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for another year. Joining me right now from Austin, Texas, is the professor, Kirk Goldsberry. Hello, Kirk. Hello, Brian. How are you? Happy New Year. How are, how are things in Omaha? Everything is fine. The snow is on the ground. Everything is normal. Spent last week in Southern California where it rained. So there you go. Uh, joining me from Chicago, where he's headed to see the Bulls play the Magic tonight and what promises to be a barn burner, is Jamal Collier. Hey, what's going on, Jamal? Snow is also on the ground. Anytime I'm getting ready for a window, Carter Jr., Nikola Vucevic revenge game, uh, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I, know. I know you've had this one circled for the last 15 minutes. Um, by the way, that's the first place Chicago Bulls. <laughs> that you will be going to see tonight. They moved past uh, the Nets uh, over the holiday weekend um, with back-to-back game winners from DeMar DeRozan. And I have to say, I can't remember. I'm sure it was written the last time somebody had back-to-back game winners. It was probably Wilt in like 67. I didn't see it because it's always Wilt, right, Kirk? It's always Wilt. It's always Wilt when you come to the stat stuff. But I don't think anybody's done it. I think I remember seeing that nobody's ever done this one, Brian. On back-to-back days never happened i think larry bird maybe done it on back-to-back team games oh, okay. um at some point i forget exactly but the back-to-back days has never happened <laughs> jamal the second one was in washington was the first one at home no it was in indiana okay it was in indiana were you at that game no i was not okay. at either um okay um what drove I, I mean we're going to talk about four but just looking back for a quick second both shots were three pointers. Both shots were preposterous because the, the one against Indiana, he like took his time and then threw up like a very awkward looking like 28 footer, but the way he shot it and the way he took his time with it and the way it went in with ease, it almost looked like that's exactly what he planned to do. But that doesn't make any sense because you, that, it looked like it was a shot he'd practiced a thousand times. I was like, okay, I'm just going to execute this shot. I, I don't know how other way to describe it other than that. It, the ease of which he shot it, despite the situation, was appalling. <laughs> it was appalling. It doesn't, course, doesn't, doesn't make any sense as a good way to describe it because that's how I felt about not only just that first one, but then the second one, right? Like he, there's three seconds on the clock and he has time to dribble into the corner pump fake there was a, a, a rookie coming after him uh from the wizards and he was sort of aware enough to say i think this rookie will bite on the pump fake then i have time to also shoot around the second guy he like looks down to make sure his feet is set well he <laughs> shot in between a double team in the wasn't quite in the total corner but it was like essentially the right. corner he's right there about he had a you know to step out of bounds if he takes and one you wrong know step. that wes unsell told his team did everybody just see DeMar hit this three game winning three pointer? We're not going to let DeMar DeRozan hit this game, another game winning three pointer. I swear, a shot at all. And so, correctly, the Wizards double teamed him. And yes, he got the guy to bump by a shot fake, but it didn't make it an easy shot. He still had to like lean to his right. I mean, 
Kirk, what's the uh, what do you think the percentage is on those two shots? Just each individually, we're talking ten percent, maybe. Yeah, I would I would give Demar uh, twenty to thirty five percent on 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 the first one, and then the, the second one was very hard, uh, as you guys are alluding to. So probably ten to twenty five thirty percent. But I mean, Demar Derozan has been taking tough shots for 14, 13 years, whatever it is now. Uh, he, along with Kevin Durant, he's taken some of the hardest shots off the bounce against the best defenders the other team has. Uh, he, he, he makes them um, at, at a ridiculously high clip. Uh, he, he's arguably the most efficient one-on-one player on the planet right now, and the numbers mm. back that up, uh, some of his isolation numbers have been great for years. That said, those shots were a little bit lucky, but you know, DeMar is conditioned for those shots. He's been taking them, like I said, for 13 years. So yeah, if you're the other team and DeMar is dribbling into a shot for the game, you're going to be scared and you should be because he can, he can take it and he can make it um, about as well as anybody in the league right now. Well, Jamal, he's also very, you got to be worried about guarding him because he's also an expert at drawing fouls. Yeah, I mean, the first of all, the fact that both those shots were threes is just objectively hilarious, right? Like, <laughs> this guy, <laughs> this guy hitting two three pointers, game winning, difficult three. Demar's made twenty five threes all year. Two of them have won the game in the final second. I mean, that is uh, like still like bizarre to wrap my mind around. But I think it's just like you said, the poise in that situation to mm. know, you know, even when he probably was not exactly aware in that first Indiana shot of, of what how much time was on the clock. He admitted to as much. He was like, Vooch set a screen for him. And he was like, he said, I was thinking about still passing the Vooch until I sort of looked at the clock and said, Oh wow, I don't have enough time for all of that. And uh, you know, but to be able to, to know how much time is on the clock, to be able to read the situation, to, to make that, to make the right track shot, to be able to sort of still looking for the read. I mean, I think, you know, tomorrow has been so, so good in the clutch and for the Bulls in general this year. And those two shots were very, you know, obviously luck, luck aided as well, but also just shows the skill and preparation, right, that goes into it to be able to execute and make a shot like that. Are very good snapshots of how good he's been for this team in the fourth quarter. Brian, let me give you a stat that backs up what I was saying. So over the last two plus seasons, 43 NBA players have run at least 500 isolation plays. So these are the ISO guys in the league. Um, of that group, nobody has been more efficient as a scorer than DeMar DeRozan. Not James Harden, not Stephen Curry, not Kevin Durant. Uh, This guy is unusually efficient when it comes to those old hero ball approaches that have been maligned by the surface level analytics community. Uh, He, like Kevin Durant, uh, can take a bad looking play uh, and turn it into efficiency. Um, he's averaging over 1.15 points when he shoots out of an ISO over the last two plus years. That's a great clip for any. Yes. So so to put that in perspective, 1.15 points per possession. That's a much better than average NBA possession. Oh yes. And I would say, you know, what that allows his teams to do at the end of the shot clock is turn a pretty crappy situation into an above average predicament which is a very powerful way to, to approach the game. And credit to the Bulls for recognizing his talents and going after and, and bringing him into Chicago. Um, he has been a revelation. Uh, and these last two games are just evidence that, 
man, yeah, give the guy to give the ball to tomorrow. Good things are going to happen. So they've won seven in a row playing the Magic tonight, who are, I think, the second worst team in the league. Um, they're coming into this game. Our, our wonderful listeners will already know, so they can make fun of me, but they can be coming into this game at uh, seven and 30. So I like the Bulls' chances at home, although the Magic all but had the Celtics beat Sunday in Boston and completely lost it down the stretch, lost in overtime. Um, but they've got the second worst record in the league. So I, I, the bulls are also Jamal, correct me if I'm wrong, but as of today, like most of their guys are back. I know Billy Donovan is back. Um, do they have everybody out of health and safety now? Pretty much Lonzo's uh, going to be back. They, uh, Alex Caruso is still dealing with an injury and they're just kind of taking it slow on him. So I'm not going to play, didn't play on Monday night probably later in the week sounds like it's on the table. Um, they got a few days off. They don't play again until Friday. I hate to be this callous, but it's just reality. If your team has already had its Omicron period, it's an advantage. Yep. You know? And through- the Bulls, through it all, I mean, this seven-game winning streak is through the middle of that. Like, yeah. it, it, it sort of started right after Mars has been on fire since he came back from it. But to go through the COVID outbreak wrecking your team and really not miss a beat, you know, they got to be really, really sort of counting how fortunate they were. And obviously getting those games postponed helped. Yeah. I mean, they got the two games, two games, right? Postponed. Yeah. Uh, and then they had a third game postponed because Toronto. Yep. Um, yeah. So, so they, you know, they, they've been able to move up to first place. So here's what I want to know. And I asked some, I spent the last day or so asking some executives and some scouts this question. Um, the Bulls are in first place. I don't know where they're going to finish, but do we look at them as a team that can beat the Nets or Bucks or and Bucks? Maybe they'd have to do that. Do we, I mean, is as great of a season as they're having and we're all acknowledging it and we're all talking about their terrific offseason and Arturis Kanishevis is going to get strong consideration for executive of the year for the moves that he made. Do we think, Jamal, do you think um, that looking at the way this team is now, that, that they should be a serious, I mean, when I say serious, I mean, obviously they've got a chance. They're a good team. They're in first place in January. They didn't fall off the truck and all of a sudden land in first place 35 games into the season. But do you honestly look at this team and say, this is a team that can win the Eastern Conference. They can beat the, the Nets four out of seven. They can beat the Bucks four out of seven as we sit here and watch them right now. A lot of thoughts on this because I've also been thinking about this question um, a lot. And I'll start, like, I don't want to put a ceiling really on this team because I think what we thought coming in, and I was, I guess, generally optimistic about this team, but didn't really think I'd see anything like this. And I think they've sort of continued to blow through whatever ceiling, you know, you may have previously put on them. And um, I think there's two things I, I would say with them. And first of all, is we've talked, we've talked about the numbers about DeRozan and, and his performances in the clutch. And when you have that kind of go-to, I know he's had his playoff struggles in the past. And, uh, but when you have that kind of clutch playoff performer, clutch fourth quarter performer, uh, you have Lonzo and Alex Caruso just making your life hell on defense. Zach Levine's on the other side, right? At the wing, that's, you know, 50, 40, 90, one of the best effortless scorers in, in, in the league. And I don't want to play this team for seven, seven games. I mean, that just doesn't sound fun for, I think, anybody. Um, I feel very similar probably to where we were at this point last season talking about Phoenix. And I do think that DeRozan has had a similar, it's a 
very big sort of lofty expectation to put on him, but very similar, you know, uh, improvement that Chris Paul and effect that Chris Paul had on, on Phoenix. And, you know, I think that last year, everybody sort of acknowledged the same thing. It thinks really good, but, eh, you know, do we see them really being in the finals and they sort of end up there and, you know, you just sort of have to be in the, in the good position and let things break your way. Uh, again, I, I kind of go back to the fact that I think the Bulls are, are maybe, you know, with the trade deadline and stuff is coming up and, and like maybe that they, if they can sort of add another piece or another thing to really get into the echelons. I do think Brooklyn and Milwaukee are still the clear favorites as I dance around your question a little bit, but finally come back to it. I think that I still would sort of rank them one too. But, uh, you know, again, I, I, this is not a team that I want to see for seven games in a, in, a, in a seven game series for any team in the Eastern Conference right now. I love that comparison to Phoenix too, Brian. I think that it, it's pretty cool that they they both came out of relative. They had modest expectations, and you look up and they're at the top of the the leaderboard there halfway through the season. The one thing I would say that I'm skeptical about separates them from that Phoenix team too, Jamal, is defense. Uh, they're playing better defense than I expected, uh, but it's dropping a little bit recently. I think that's something to watch. And I say this out of great respect to Chicago, but also to Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Um, the, the Nets are the favorites for a reason. The Bucks are the defending champs. And I don't think it would be a failure for the Chicago Bulls to lose to either of those teams in a tough series. Yeah. I'd also add um, the race for number one is very important for Chicago. If they can maintain that position, assuming that Milwaukee and Brooklyn are 2-3, that means their path to the finals only has to deal with one of those two teams. So I think they need to emphasize that number one seed more than the other teams probably who have more confidence uh, going into the playoffs. But if there's one reason I'm pretty skeptical here, Brian, is the defense uh, and more specifically Vucevic's ability to protect the paint uh, against teams like Brooklyn and, and Giannis and the Bucks. And we saw Giannis almost single-handedly win the finals by dominating the paint. Uh, so when it comes to the playoffs, I think, you know, the old adage defense wins championships is true. Uh, and it's unclear to me if this exact Bulls roster is going to be able to have the defense to, to beat a team like Milwaukee or Brooklyn in a seven game. Yeah. I mean, so, so we're very excited about the Bulls right now. And obviously they've had some challenges, uh, you know, in the last, you know, in the last couple of weeks that they've gone through, it's awesome that they won those close games, but you know, easily both those shots miss. And all of a sudden we're talking about them being in third place, <laughs> yeah. not first yeah. place. Um, you know, you mentioned home court. Kirk home court is a, right now a very interesting relative term in the Eastern conference. Yeah, it is. Isn't it? Because <laughs> what if you don't want home court, if you're playing the nets and the, everything is happening so fast. Like the one thing that, you know, I'm, you know, people make fun of me because I say I don't make predictions and then I slip one in and then they call me on it and then they're always right. But w- things are changing so very quickly in the league right now. It's very hard to see into the future. So I don't know what the rules for Kyrie Irving are going to be. I don't know how Kyrie is going to play. I don't know what's going to happen with COVID, you know, but let's just say, as we're sitting here and projecting this, things don't change. Um, because remember, this is a, it's not an NBA rule. The NBA is moving more and more towards loosening restrictions, not you know 
in making them harder. I don't know where the tastes in New York City are. But if if you're going to play a seven-game series with the Nets, how do you weigh <laughs> playing seven games and maybe having game seven at home versus playing seven games and maybe having to play the Nets in a seventh game without Kyrie Irving? No, you Is can't. Not- you can't you're, they're not doing that math because of the one simple thing I think, and maybe Jamal or you'll disagree with me, but here's what I see. If I'm the Bulls, I'm I'm fighting for one because that means I only see one of those I two see. monsters in the two yeah. three. So right. that two three, that conference semis, Brooklyn, Milwaukee. You stay out of that mess and you get whatever emerges from that. Probably a banged up version of one of those two teams. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, maybe Kyrie plays an extra game or whatever. Last year, you want last year's scenario necessarily to happen where those teams have to go for a seven game series. I mean. So your point, Brian, what I'm really wondering is, hey, are the people in Brooklyn, is there a way to get down to five uh, <laughs> here all of a sudden and get Kyrie on the court a little bit more? <laughs> I mean, like, I, I mean, I know that in a game seven situation, I'd rather have Kyrie Irving. Uh, I've <laughs> seen him win some game seven. So, uh, um, and, and I, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, we may listen to this pod, you know, nobody actually will, but you could th- theoretically be sitting in April and say, listen to a podcast from April, from January and say, boy, did those people not have any idea what was going to happen? And I'd say, you're right. We didn't. <laughs> um, but that is kind of awkward. Uh, so Kyrie is going to play, make his debut. I think uh, Woj reported it Wednesday. That's the plan. Gosh, you have to plan, you know, you can't for sure anything. Uh, by the way, I mentioned earlier about, you know, sort of this weird like advantage about having your guys have the Omicron antibodies. Uh, the Nets just had their three stars all go through protocols. Now, I don't know how they're going to feel. Um, th- this is hitting guys differently. Some guys, I, like I think Lonzo said today, Jamal, right? He's like, I didn't have any symptoms, yeah, like nothing. And then um, uh, Oneka Kwangu from the, from the Hawks has just come back, and he said it hit him really hard, and he had every symptom. So I'm not saying you're, you're like, let's have our stars get it, but the Nets are going to have all three guys have come through it. Uh, Kyrie must be feeling pretty good because he's going to play. Um, and so not only that, but, you know, not only have the antibodies, but I think Kirk as a recent, um, someone who's recently had COVID, he doesn't even have to have act as an unvaccinated player view of the league. So he can eat with his teammates and, and fly next to him on the plane. I mean, like in a strange way, it's like, okay, uh, he, he, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the eyes of the league, he's almost been vaccinated. Um, you know, not officially, but in terms of the way they are, you, the rule. So here the nets are, they're getting Kyrie back for half the games. They, they have a road heavy schedule in January. Um, so they're going to get him more often than not coming up. And they, their three guys have all got it. You know, they still have to get Joe Harris back. Um, that's a, a big missing piece for them, but the outlook for the Nets right now kind of feel okay, feel okay, right, Kirk? I mean, so yeah. like you see where the Bulls are, and the Nets are kind of like rubbing their hands together, going, "Here we go, here comes uh, Kyrie back." Yeah, this is big. I think Kyrie obviously makes that team harder to beat in general. Um, but I'll also add, what I think is interesting, Brian, is that the no single player's legacy right now has more at stake over the next six months than Kyrie does. Um, and, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out for a number of reasons. The Nets are already a contender. They're 23 and 11. That's the second best record in the East. They already have Kevin Durant, who you guys talked about. 
as maybe the best player in the world over the calendar year 2021. They already have James Harden in their starting five, but with Irving, did I get lit up for my (laughs) Ballon d'Or basket basket Ballon d'Or? Did you see about that, Kirk? You know what I'm talking about? Well, I I know what you did, but I didn't know what people were saying. I didn't know what the Twitter responses were. Well, I don't look at I don't look at my Twitter mentions, but people (laughs) who have access to my phone, my phone number, they didn't like it. They 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 ripped me for for having the gall to say that the Olympics should matter in a year where there are Olympics. I'm no, I'm with you on that. The Olympics are only becoming more and more important in, in the world of, of international basketball. Like you, you real, see real quick, I'm sorry by... to take an off ramp here. This is uh, this is our hoop collective short that we put on YouTube. It wasn't on the podcast. It was on YouTube with Bon Temps and McMahon last week, and we all voted. You should all go look at it for who we think the best the player for the calendar year is and i was admonished because um the per now never mind i'm not i'm not even gonna say it i'll save it for for later in the day i'm sorry to take you off kirk i'm just saying i wanted to have we wanted to have an award that was different and i was criticized because i didn't (laughs) vote for somebody different i mean it's like oh let's have an award that's different oh okay cool who do you want to vote for uh the guy who won the mvp oh I'm glad we had the different award. Thank you very much. All right. <laughs> well, sorry, well, let's Kirk. talk about so something must, much less controversial in the NBA, and that's Kyrie Irving. Uh, <laughs> Kyrie, with Kyrie back in the fold, I think the net ceiling is even higher than it is right now, especially on offense as a numbers guy. Look for their offensive efficiency to flirt with 120. I mean, this roster now possesses. Well, they had the number one offensive efficiency of all time last season. Right. With and, those and like, And that was without Patty Mills, uh, without LaMarcus, who's been pretty, pretty good for them. This roster, even compared to last year's Nets roster, arguably has the most talent I've ever seen on an NBA roster. Uh, I, I used arguably there. It's doing some work. But, man, this is a loaded team. And Kyrie just coming back. Um, and Steve Nash knows a thing or two about running some offensive plays. So speaking of Nash, the other thing I think this is, 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 big, is big for, it gives Nash and the coaches an opportunity to sort of build reps, experiment with rotations that will help this team get ready for the postseason. Uh, it should also lessen the, the, the burden on Durant and Harden. But, you know, here's the hard part. Kyrie hasn't played since June. He needs to get in shape. He needs to get familiar with these guys. In theory, these regular season games are going to let him do that. But obviously, the uncertainty is the other big story here, Brian. Since acquiring Kyrie in 2019, the Nets have played 194 games. Irving has played 83 of those. That's 43%. Uh, And here we go, extending that sort of era of inconsistency into this season. And we're now more than halfway through his four-year deal with Brooklyn. Uh, and I think the legacy right now is that inconsistency. And that's why I say, Brian, that the biggest, that's why there's so much at stake for this guy this year. If they, if they, he comes in and plays a few road games, blah, blah, blah. And they win the title, the Kyrie Irving era in Brooklyn is a massive success. Uh, if he fails or misses games or whatever, people are going to start to look at that four-year deal, uh, and, and look at it almost as a, as a debacle time will tell. That's why I say, Man, is there any well, other NBA player between January alone, and June with, a, with as much to gain or lose right now? Kyrie yeah. delivered Durant. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to keep it, keep it. How many games did you say that, um, that Kyrie had played? He's played 83 of the 194 he's been a net for. 
So that's 43% of those Nets games, including the postseason. Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So Durant has played, um, doing math on the fly here, 12 playoff games and 64. So he's played 70. Uh, he's played 78 going into tonight. So only five less games than Kyrie, and he missed the whole season. He missed one of those whole years. He'll probably catch him by the end of this year then. uh, Well, catch him in the next month. (laughs) Um, Wow. Yeah, uh, I I really wanted to disagree with that that point uh, at first about Kyrie and find a counterexample, and I think you sold me on it as well. Um, You know, because you're right. Imagine if they lose a a home playoff game, right? Like whether it's a game six or seven or whatever, and, and he's not on the floor. Um, but if he's able to come out, I just have no idea what this is going to look like. Like your starting point guard is only on the floor half the times so you have to have another entire new lineup rotate, which I guess you've been doing anyway all season. But, um, yeah, I did the best thing. I think for me that I just like in theory and practice think. I mean, on one hand, also Kyrie can just, I think he's the kind of guy who's so skilled and so talented that I, I do sort of have confidence in him stepping on the floor and, and we saw it last year; those guys came together pretty quickly, and in the midseason, and they were—we just talked best offense, <laughs> you know, that we've ever seen. So I, I, I agree that the ceiling is raised, and they—they they kind of go right back to, you know, the sort of that that echelon of favorite as you thought. Because I, I was—I guess I was a little bit getting lower on them as I saw them play more this season and, and saw this all that Katie had to do. Uh, just to get right. them to where they were. And he's obviously capable of doing that, but also it's, it's June and Katie's playing 40 minutes a game or not June. It's uh, November and December and Katie's playing 38, right. 40 minutes a game. And and that just sort of struck me as concerning. So, but, so the Nets have played the Bulls twice this year. The, the Bulls yeah. won both games. They play Wednesday, January 12th. Uh, I guess uh, be a, a week from this Wednesday um, in Chicago. So that means that Kyrie will be able to play in that game. And I don't know who's going to be available, all this stuff, but um, I mean that's one of the things about the Nets is they have a good record, but they haven't done that well against the the top teams. And I do think that's a, a, a factor in one of the reasons why they pressed for this. What, you know, when I say they, I meant Harden and uh, and Durant. They pressed for it. They pressed want to get Kyrie back in because I think they knew they weren't good enough. But when you add Kyrie, they're one of the great collections of talents uh that that kirk has seen and i agree and if they don't have them 
then he's in a situation, they're in a situation where they're good, but maybe not great. So we're going to see, we're going to get, we're going to get a referendum real quick and, and we'll see where the bulls are because hopefully by then uh, Caruso will be back. Maybe Jamal, you think? Yeah. Yeah. I would, that's a guess, but I would, I would assume that everything goes to plan. He was on the court at least sort of doing some things again today. He's, I think he'll be back by then. Yeah, who knows? Well, hopefully we see, you know, strength on strength. And, and yeah. that again is so fascinating how, you know, <clears throat> potentially in a playoff series, you could go from like, Okay, it's uh, it's three two. Can you imagine like a Bulls Nets series and the Bulls have home court? Like the, yeah. you know, it's like, it's, okay, it's three two. Kyrie, you stay here in Chicago, and uh, we'll see you for Game Seven. You know, I'm, I'm sure that's not what, what's going to happen, but like you know, it's it's just it's it's bizarre to have to um, to have to like look at and to try to balance. But certainly the return of Kyrie, and also um, you know, Woj reported this afternoon that uh, Clay Thompson. Um, could be uh, could be returning as early as Sunday uh, against the Cavs, and um, the concept of both of those guys coming back, Kyrie and Clay, in the same week, even though their circumstances are pretty different, certainly changes a lot of things that are happening in the NBA. But I also didn't want to overlook the Bucks, Jamal. You spend a lot of time around the Bucks, and I don't want to say that it's unnoticed because they're the defending champs, and Giannis is the two-time MVP. But they've kind of, in my view, quietly gone along about their business, had very little drama other than some injuries. They had their own COVID thing. Giannis dealt with it. Um, I felt bad for Dante DiVincenzo. He missed like nine months or whatever it was, and then or eight months off of ankle surgery, right when he's ready to come back into the COVID protocols. Yeah. Misses Christmas Day. I'm sure he was targeting Christmas for weeks. I'm going to get back for Christmas and then test positive. I felt for him. So they've had their own issues with that, but they've won six in a row. They play the Pistons Monday night. Pistons are the worst team in the league by record. I don't know what's going to happen, but I like the Bucks chances and they're only a game back of Chicago. They're tied with the bulls uh, with the nets essentially for, for second place. There's, you know, differences in games played because of postponements and whatnot. But, um, you know, Giannis is playing spectacularly uh, despite having his bout with COVID. Let me give you his last 10 games here. Um, his last 10 games, 30 points a game, uh, just under 12 rebounds a game, uh, just under seven assists a game, shooting 55% from the field in that stretch. And uh, hello, 72% from the line. Um he is playing awesome and they are doing great with their, without Brooke Lopez playing Giannis at center more. And Bobby Portis is playing excellently also playing big man minutes and they are humming along beautifully despite some of their issues that they had. Uh, you know, Middleton's had some issues holiday drew holiday was banged up early in the season. It really hasn't slowed them down and they look, they have to be feeling really good about themselves. And so, I ask you, Jamal, you know them well. Is that a team that the Bulls could beat four out of seven? And is that a team that if you're the Bucks, you're worried about in addition to the Nets? Oh, you know, if I'm the Bulls, uh, I don't really, I still am looking at Giannis and, you know, the rest of the league is in the same boat. Like, what is our answer for this guy? Right. And, no uh, you know, but that I think is, is, you know, if I was sort of handicapping who the Bulls had a better chance against, you know, oddly enough, at least Caruso, Lonzo, Javante, they have guys to almost throw at, at at the sort of perimeter guys at the Nets. And 
they're just not a very good option for Giannis. And, um, you know, again, just sort of broadly speaking and speculating here, like if I'm the Bulls and I'm sort of serious about a, a run at a, a at the finals and at competing in the East, I have to look at the trade deadline and say, like, is there a piece? Is there the sort of the PJ Tucker equivalent or whatever it was last year that I can add to my team to have a better answer for Inbrick and Duran as well, like to throw it at, at Giannis? Because I, I think to your point, Brian, it feels like every time we, whether it be the, the, uh, the Nets or the Bulls or whomever else in the East, and it's like, wow, this team or, or this Phoenix, whoever, they're doing great. And it's like, yeah, but Milwaukee's still really good. And when their best players play, they, uh, they're, they're a juggernaut. And I think that, um, you know, if I had to sort of handicap it or, or, or bet on one team today of who I just had the most confidence of in, it's, it's across the league probably it's Milwaukee just because there's not – there's really not a question mark of they got a guy coming back or what drama is going to happen or whatever. Like if those guys are all healthy and on the floor, we, we know what this team is and it's the team that just won the championship. So um, that is the – I think that Milwaukee to me is still – it's obviously the team you got to knock off. And, and I think that other teams uh, in the league and, and they're going to say with Brooklyn, you've got to be saying, do we have enough to beat Milwaukee and bringing in Kyrie, bringing him back, I think was an answer that they, they didn't, they didn't think the answer to that question was yes. Without it. I agree. They couldn't do it last year. As close as it was, <laughs> as close as it was, they couldn't do it last year. And I think the bucks are only stronger Kirk. Yeah, I'm with that. I think Milwaukee deserves the respect that we're giving them here. Uh, I think Giannis, is the best, most complete player on the planet right now, uh, in part because of what he does as a rebounder, uh, what he does as a rim protector. Um, you know, he, I think he leads the NBA in three-point assists right now. Uh, this guy is... Just to a, cut you off real quick, he had yeah. a triple, that triple-double that he had the other day, 35, 15, and 10, uh, I forget which night it was. All 10 of his assists were the three-point shooters. Yeah, oh, he, I didn't see that. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Oh. So that's 30 points, Jamal, by my math. Just generate uh, it, yeah. <laughs> that, he, that he generates. Terrific work. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, but in all seriousness, yeah, don't sleep on the Bucks. And, and to your other point, Brian, they already went through it. Uh, this is a team that's on the other side, hopefully, of their worst COVID annoyance of the season. Um, and they are sort of getting better. Uh, as we approach the midway point of the NBA season. To me, right now, they and Brooklyn are pretty head-to-head right, running for the Eastern Conference crown. And I got to give the nod to Milwaukee, Brian, because as you pointed out, they did this last year. And Nets fans are going to be quick to say, oh, we didn't have our guys. You're right. Uh, and that's why Brooklyn deserves to be maybe uh, the Vegas favorite right now. Whatever. These two teams are the best teams in the East right now and legitimate championship contenders, which bringing it back to the Bulls, make you want to stay out of their way on the path to the Eastern Conference crown. That said, Giannis could still end up, and I want to hear what you think, Brian. Is Giannis sort of threatening to win his third MVP this season? Listen, I'm a big believer in the Bontemps poll. And the Bontemps poll was so in favor of of Steph. I mean, LeBron's play in the last three, since the Bontemps poll came out, which is, you know, three, four weeks, LeBron's play has been amazing. LeBron's putting up spectacular numbers. Unfortunately, his team is 500. That's right. Um, You know, Giannis is putting up spectacular numbers, 
but his team isn't, you know, number one in the, in the league in terms of wins and the Steph narrative is, is, you know, and, and what they're going to maybe do after uh, clay comes back, you know, it, 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 it's, it's sort of leaning towards him. Um, they've the, the nets and, and uh, bucks haven't played since opening night. Uh, you may remember it. It was in uh, Milwaukee. It was ring night and the, the bucks slammed them. Uh, they beat him by 25 or something like that. Of course, Kyrie did not play. Um, they play again. They play again for the, for the second time this season on Friday. Um, and I believe that game is in Brooklyn. So no Kyrie in that game. Um, but you're going to be facing, you're going to be seeing a team, you know, you know, a, a more representative situation as opposed to opening night when there was a lot of things were different in the world. So, um, you know, uh, that is going to be, you know, a real hit. They, so they have three games left with Brooklyn. Um, you know, uh, one, two are in Brooklyn. One is in Milwaukee. So, which is relevant for Kyrie purposes. So, um, I, you know, and I think it's an interesting point that you brought up Jamal about when the bulls look around and say, do we really want to go for this? Um, do we need to do something? And, you know, that's why that, that PJ Tucker trade, I mean, he certainly didn't shut down Durant, but he made Durant work really hard. One of the things that Durant said earlier this season he really tried to shut down the concept that had he been three or four inches back with his toe and they would have won the game that they were automatically going to win the title he was like i was exhausted we were exhausted and harden's hamstring wasn't getting any better and Kyrie was you know bad ankle injury was not in the off and coming back he's like i don't know if we could have gotten through the conference finals forget about the finals so um, and part of the reason they were so worn out was because of Tucker just, you know, working so hard. So the bulls, you know, they're, they, they've, they've traded, you know, multiple first throughout. They, they're really not in a position to trade a first round pick. Yep. They have Derek Jones jr. As a piece that they could use in a trade. He makes $9 million, but he doesn't have much value in and of himself. Um, the player who I would think that the bulls, if they were serious about making a move, who would have sort of the value. I, I assume that Patrick Williams is not really available. I mean, he's a, you know, he's a guy they like, and, you know, as a young player, but I, I would assume a guy that they, you know, of the guys that they have in their rotation would be Kobe white, um, uh, Kobe white, um, Jamal. Do you think that that's something that they could look at? I don't even know who that player even would be. Yep. that could give them that kind of toughness against Durant. But like, I'm just talking about what they would have to even offer. And that's exactly kind of where I land. And, and like you said, just looking at the pure, what you'd have to trade that a young, the team would want a young player that, you know, has had some flashes, has some glimpses, has been a good score and, and uh, has been played pretty well actually these last handful of games since he got back from, from COVID as well. Uh, like, yes, I think assuming all things you just said, Kobe, if you could, I don't know if you have any more picks or, or when you can trade them or sort of exactly what the, what the deal is there. But if you can package something there and try to get something, I mean, the Bulls still are running a pretty thin bench. I mean, you know, Caruso is their sixth man. And then they're kind of cobbling together Derek Jones Jr. Io DeSumo has been great as a rookie, but still a rookie. I mean, it, they, they, I think you can just get another, basically another guy to, to replace Patrick Williams. I mean, I think a lot of people in Chicago love the idea of a big and they want a big and a, a big is, is they both need size, but you can get sort of a four that can sort of, you know, swing and, and, and play a small ball five. And, you know, again, just do the things that Patrick Williams, you thought you might be getting from him 
in a starting lineup, I think that would be a huge boost um, for the Bulls. Now, again, that's easier said than done because everybody in the league is probably looking for somebody that can can do similar things on like a three and D wing. Um, but uh, yeah, again, I think I'm in the same boat as <clears throat> same thought process as you that if the Bulls are going to move a guy, Kobe White is still the guy that has the most value. And, and also they've traded the entire team away that was here before except Kobe and Zach. So <laughs> it feels like everybody that was, uh, that was on the team, you know, before, before the new front office took over is, is uh, you know, they, 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 gotta, they can get something for you that they want. They, they make, they make it, make that move. Yeah. And there, there's a team that I think is pretty deep in the backcourt to your point, Jamal yeah. and uh, Kobe's Kobe's just in the front court. So if, if they move, I love the idea of somebody like miles Turner coming in to, to boost the interior defense. Maybe that's a pipe dream. This is a top five offense and an average-ish defense, uh, I, I think the Chicago Bulls, if they're active in the trade market, need to improve the defense. And, 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 and as I mentioned earlier, uh, the interior of that defense. So when I look at yeah. the names out there, yeah, I keep coming back to Miles Turner. I just don't know if that's a realistic target for them or not. For the ones who get it done, Ranger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists, have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Well, one of the most one of the most interesting guys out there defensive wise, and I do, I'm going to say before I even say his name, I don't think the Bulls have a functional way of getting him. But you know, we talked uh, on this podcast last week about the struggles of the Boston Celtics, and um, you know, there's a possibility that Marcus Smart could be available in the right type of deal. Um, people talk about trading Jalen Brown whether the Celtics would trade Jalen Brown. They talk about the concept of trading Jalen Brown for, for Ben Simmons. Uh, if I'm the Celtics, I'm not trading Jalen Brown um, unless I'm getting, you know, uh, uh, Durant or, or Giannis or somebody like that back. Um, but um, Marcus Smart is a guy who in theory, potentially for the right situation could be available. That to me might be the best sort of bulldog defender. PJ, even it doesn't have the same, quite size as PJ Brown, but I would put him on just about anybody in the league and like my chances, but I don't really see how that happens. So, um, you know, Chicago has to, has to get creative. I would think Kirk. I will give the bulls yeah. a little, a little bit of credit uh, defensively that I know that they've slid down to 12 or 13th lately, but you know, Caruso has basically not played in the past three weeks and Lonzo had also Lonzo. been out. So I think that like yeah. that is a little bit of why the last month or so their defensive rating has taken a bit of a hit. Um, again, I, they're going to add, and I think that all things you said is correct as far as front court 
somebody who can add some presence there defensively. And Miles Turner's name is popular around here as well. And the path also still looks very difficult to how you would outbid somebody for him. But, uh, you know, I do think that the, the Bulls, I, you know, I'll give them the credit for it because they have just, they had consistently been a pretty top seven or eight defense, I want to say, before Lonzo went out. Um, or before Caruso went out, which pretty much after that Miami game, middle of December. Yeah, I'll just say one stat I keep coming back to. There's no player in the league. Jamal is giving up more points in the restricted area this year than uh, Vucevic. Opponents are averaging nine points per game in the restricted area with him as the closest defender. That's not unusual for him. Uh, And again, you you mentioned it. Caruso and Lonzo are great. And, And by the way, just another, you know, round of flowers for that front office sort of surrounding DeMar and Zach and Vooch with Caruso and Lonzo really is a strong, strong sort of blend of offensive and defensive weapons. And I think if they could add one more piece, it would be that sort of Caruso-Lonzo equivalent, Jamal, in the front court next to Vooch. The other name I I think that should come up is Serge Ibaka, Brian, uh, in the last year of his deal. Uh, I don't know what the, the Clippers are thinking there. Uh, but yeah, somebody who, who has a reputation as, as a good defender uh, in, in, the, in the paint uh, could really make me a bigger believer of the Bulls going forward into the playoffs this season. Yeah, um, it's just it's also hard to know who's going to be healthy. You know, <laughs> uh, you, you have to prepare yourself, you know, for contingencies the best you can. It's it's part of the way the league is. Um the last few years have been so defined by injuries, but um, you know, if you, if you are the bulls, you know, you have to ask your, I remember this is like the Daryl Morey principle. Do you have, what, what does he say? Kirk? It's a 5%. If you have a 5% chance, you think you can win uh, you the title? You think we all talk to each other, all the nerds, you know, I don't know. Just yeah. cause we all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I like the concept, whatever it was, basically Daryl's yeah. concept is if you think you got a chance to win the title, uh, and, you know, and not just like one, in a, you know, on a flyer, but you got a real chance to win it. You know, you should go for it. And this is one of the things I would say that I think the Phoenix Suns are are considering right now, too. I mean, they have some options and some things they can do. They have a great team, though. They have a great yeah. team and a team that's going to get very expensive in the next few years. So they've got to be careful. Um, but like they've got a real shot to win it. They had a real shot to win it last year, but maybe they didn't know that in uh in january february well they know it now and you know you know if you're a suns fan you'd really like to see them go for that one extra piece and if you're a bulls fan you'd really like to see them go for that one extra piece you know maybe you didn't think you'd be in first place in january at the start of the season but you are now and um you know that's that's one of the things you know maybe you didn't know that that demar Derozan was going to be an all nba first team all nba candidate uh but but he is now and, uh, you know, that's, that's part of, of, you know, the challenge of, of winning is that you, you, you have to, is, is always pushing and always looking for little edges. And, um, you know, the bucks themselves have done a really good job with that finding guys on the, on the fringes to support Giannis. And, you know, the bucks are going to be continuing to look for guys and the nets are going to be continuing to look for guys you know when the buyout season comes along that there's going to be a player or two that that the bucks and nets are going to go head to head (laughs) on i'm sure chicago as well and so um that's uh that's one of the things we're going to see with the bulls but i i am in agreement that i i think the bulls are a are a very good team i'm very pleased with the way that they do it 
I don't see them as I don't see them being able to beat those two teams four out of seven right now. With the caveat being, I don't know what happens with Kyrie in a series where you where the Nets have home court. <laughs> you know, you it may be a minor advantage, but um, the fact that we're having this conversation is a huge victory right. for where the Bulls are. In a, a lot of games the last four years that uh, in Chicago that <laughs> this conversation uh, would, you know, would sound great, great to be having. Yeah. And, and just, I, Brian, we talked about this a little bit, but I think, you know, watching DeMar and Chicago do this, uh, especially in the context of what's happening at the crypto.com arena and Los Angeles Lakers with Russell Westbrook, you can't talk about DeMar DeRozan in 2021-22 having this incredible season without mentioning the fact that it looks like he really wanted to go play for the Lakers. It looks like they chose Russell Westbrook over DeMar DeRozan if the Chris Haynes reporting November is true. Um, and that just doesn't look very good. And, and again, shout out to Chicago's front office for getting the deal done. Uh, but it looks like the Lakers made a big mistake uh, and not taking the DeMar DeRozan possibility a little more serious as they continue to struggle where on offense. This is a team that's one of the bottom 10 offenses in the league at the halfway point almost of this season. And DeMar's out here uh, just getting bucket after bucket for the Chicago Bulls. And they are a top five offense. Uh, you know, Brian, I know you've talked about this on the podcast before, but, you know, given the last couple of weeks, looking at this tale of two cities vibe between the DeRozan Bulls and the Westbrook Lakers, what are you thinking there? Well, I I just real, sorry, just real quick, just to say, we were talking about MVP uh, discussions earlier with Giannis. And I think DeRozan also deserves to be in that, that top couple of guys as well, for all the reasons you just said, the Bulls are being a one seed and him being the best player there. I mean, uh, yeah, I just want to maybe mention him in, in that discussion as well as a guy deserving. Yeah, um, I would just say the thing about it is, Kirk, absolutely for sure, especially because the assets that the that the Lakers would have had to have used to get DeRozan would have been less than Westbrook. Exactly. But whenever this whenever this conversation comes up, I always have to bring this up because I'm a wet blanket. Had the Lakers done that? worked out a sign and trade for DeMar with the, with the Spurs, they would have been hard capped and it would have it would have impinged their ability to build out the rest of that roster because they would only been able to go whatever it is, six or $7 million over the um, luxury tax line. And I think they're like in the neighborhood of 18, 20 million over it now. So, and I'm, and granted that was Westbrook related, um, but that was a factor in it as they were, as they were sitting there, the other thing was, look, LeBron wanted Westbrook. And really after that, there's not much really you can say. But as you evaluate those two things, you have to include that in. Is it they, they And I would say build out what roster, Brian? <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, they ended up signing 10, 10 uh, you know, uh, veteran minimum, the 10 minimum players. I mean, yeah. when this season is over for the Lakers and it doesn't end in a positive way, which is the way it's trending right now, I don't know. I mean – AD comes back. LeBron keeps playing great. Anything's still possible, but let's say the Lakers lose in the first or second round. Um, That will be deemed as a disappointing season. Any season with LeBron, you don't reach the finals is deemed a disappointing season. We will sit there and say they had 10 minimum players on their con on their roster. (laughs) I mean, 
uh, you know, what do you expect? Um, and it, and you lose sight of that as you're going game to game and you're like analyzing the play of Carmelo versus Bazemore versus Avery Bradley. And you're, you know, they're trading Rondo off to save a few hundred thousand dollars or whatever it was, $4 million here or there. And, you know, who knows what will happen with Kendrick Nunn, etc. Um, when he comes back, that was a significant signing that they spent. If they don't trade him first, because it's possibility Kendrick Nunn could be traded. It's it's been mentioned out there, but whatever it is with the Lakers, I think Kirk that has to be that has to be also computed in the DeRozan thing. But you know, DeRozan is having the time of his life right now. I think it's fair to say if he was doing this in his hometown in L.A. wearing a Laker jersey, it would have been you know one of the stories of the year in sports. It's just one of the stories of the year in NBA in the uh, in the NBA. So, but the Bulls have him, Jamal, and you're covering them and you'll be covering them tonight and uh, thanks for stopping by before you head to the game thank you kirk for your time thank you listen to hoop collective happy new year everybody we will talk to you later this week